This is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, offering education, health care, and the opportunity to achieve career success since 1867. Information at go.wvu.edu slash forward. Welcome to the Legislature Today. I'm Chris Schultz. We're in the final stages of the 2024 legislative session and the pace is picking up. There are just two more weeks to go. Sunday marks the day that bills must be out of committee in their originating chamber to give the legislators time to vote on the bills over three successive days. Next Wednesday, February 28th, marks what is known as Crossover Day. That's the day all bills have to be out of their chamber of origin to give them time to pass. Bills on third reading in the House of Delegates range from improving schools and learning to providing guidance on social media and political campaign ads, along with harsher penalties for the sexual assault of a minor. Randy Yowie has more. Local school improvement councils are one way the legislature hopes to improve academic performance. Senate Bill 172 would revise requirements of those councils to include teachers, staff, parents, and students in grades seven or higher Council members would be trained in school and community engagement, transparency, and more. The bill passed 93-4 to 4 and now goes to the Senate. House Bill 4191 is intended to prevent corruption and provide transparency of election-related content on social media websites. Key to this bill would be to hold social media platforms like Facebook or X, for example, responsible if found to cause any increase in online visibility or attempt by the social media platform to modify and influence a user's understanding or opinion regarding any candidate, party, or political party in the state of West Virginia. Enforcement would be through the Secretary of State and Attorney General's office. The bill passed 61 to 35 and goes to the Senate. House Bill 5235 would double the criminal penalty for anyone found guilty of the sexual assault on a minor. Delegate Joey Garcia, a Democrat from Marion County, had concerns over unintended consequences of the bill. He recalls from testimony in committee that double penalties could suppress plea agreements and adversely affect juvenile victims having to go to trial. If somebody doesn't, is unwilling to take a plea, and they're gonna roll the dice on a trial, you have to prepare the victim. You have to have the victim testify and have to go through really the, tra the trauma of that situation all over again. Uh, and, and the possibility that they would lose, which can always happen at trial, and that somebody who maybe committed an act like this gets off. But Delegate Todd Kirby, a Republican from Raleigh County, voiced a different perspective noting that a large percentage of the cases that are tried in his district involve child sexual abuse. And the, and the reason is the penalties are already extremely high, as well they should be. But if we are going to have the people that are victims of these horrible crimes come forward and express their story and tell their story to a jury and, and oftentimes an open courtroom, we should allow them to secure a sufficient penalty for the perpetrator. 
And so I think that uh, I don't disagree that there may be some instances where this could keep a defendant from pleading guilty. Well, so be it. Let him come in and defend himself and let the victim tell the court and the jury exactly what happened. And when that happens, they should be rewarded with a stiff penalty of 40 years and a doubling of all the other penalties. The bill passed 98 to 0 and also now goes to the Senate. For the legislature today, I'm Randy Yowie. Today, the Senate passed bills on welfare, natural hair, oil and gas taxes, as well as one that would affect West Virginia public broadcasting. Brianna Heaney has more. The Crown Act, a bill that would prohibit racial discrimination based on certain hair textures and styles, hit the Senate floor Friday. Senator Charles Trump, a Republican from Morgan County, is a sponsor of Senate Bill 496 and the chair of the Judiciary Committee. The committee approved the that, bill Thursday evening following testimony from and... Veronica Clay Bunch, Miss Black West Virginia. The reason I'm here today is kind of just to speak from a personal experience. I would not honestly have thought until it actually was some, until I was actually a victim of this, of how much of an effect that it had on them. Although there may be other rights or human rights that are available to protect us as African Americans, but whenever it comes to wearing ethnic hairstyles, sometimes we do tend to have issues with being discriminated against or, you know, put in jeopardy because we actually, you know, choose to have a hairstyle in particular to what our favor is. Soon after the bill was on the floor to be advanced, debate erupted. Senator Eric Tarr, a Republican from Putnam County, asked for the bill to be sent to the Finance Committee, which he chairs. Uh, this bill that came out of Judiciary has fiscal implications, uh, potentially from several departments I've requested the fiscal notes on them. So I move that this bill be referred to the Committee on Finance and request the Asian days. Senator Trump asked for evidence of the fiscal implications and then opposed the motion to send the bill to the Finance Committee. Then I rise in opposition to the motion. It is unnecessary for this bill to go to finance. Uh, this bill will not increase expenses or general revenue of the, to, the, uh, the, to the state. In fact, I think this bill, if we pass it, will reduce, has a chance to reduce expenses to the state. Let me explain why. It's already against the law in this state to discriminate on the basis of race. This bill simply clarifies that if you discriminate against someone because of his or her hairstyle associated with his or her race, it qualifies as racial discrimination. It will reduce, if we pass this bill, in my opinion, Mr. President, it will reduce the number of cases that have to be litigated because it will resolve that legal issue. The Senate voted 22 to 12 to send the bill to TARS committee after pushback from Democrats and some Republicans. Senate Bill 562 expands job training requirements for the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP recipients. West Virginia has the second lowest labor participation rate in the United States behind Mississippi. Senator Roland Roberts, a Republican from Raleigh County who wrote about the bill, said it would address multi-generational dependence on welfare. I would describe this legislation as, and this bill, as a compassionately structured three-year plan designed to gradually wean able-bodied adults without dependent children off of SNAP benefits. There is no fiscal note on the bill. Robert says that counties can fund these programs using opioid settlement funds. Senator Mike Caputo, a Marion County Democrat, asked for the bill to be sent to finance. Tar opposed the motion. 
I can't believe what I'm hearing, quite frankly. That was a very, very good uh, explanation of why one bill maybe should be looked at a finance and maybe the other one shouldn't be. Uh, I don't know. But clearly, one thing we know is there's going to be an impact. And I heard the distinguished finance chair say a little bit ago that it's his responsibility to make sure whatever that impact is. The bill was passed by the Senate without Caputo's motion and heads to the House for consideration. Senate Bill 844 would directly affect West Virginia public broadcasting. It changes the name of the Oversight Committee from the Educational Broadcast Authority to Commission, but it also shifts the ability to select the Executive Director to the Secretary of Arts, Culture, and History. Caputo read a letter from a constituent urging him to vote no. It happens to come from two of my constituents who happen to be pretty large donors to the public broadcasting system. Now, I'm not going to mention their names, but... I'm writing in hopes that you will vote against Senate Bill 844. This bill will fundamentally change public broadcasting by changing it to a state commission. West Virginia Public Broadcasting is funded by donations, of which my husband and I contribute generously and bequests. Our donations are specifically for the independent journalism provided by WVPB. We're not going to be supporters if our donations are simply to a state commission, which can be rated by a future governor to fund other pet projects. The bill was passed by the Senate and heads to the House for consideration. House Bill 4850, which would remove an oil and gas personal property tax, passed the Senate today and heads to the governor's desk. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Brianna Heaney in Charleston. Marriage would no longer be a defense in cases of sexual assault if a Senate bill becomes law. Emily Rice has more. Senate Bill 190 removes the defense of marriage from the definition of sexual contact and removes marriage as a defense to first and third degree sexual assault. Senator Ryan Weld, a Republican from Brook County, explained the purpose of the bill to the Senate Judiciary Committee. As it stands now, uh, an individual could not be found guilty of sexual abuse in the first degree if they were in fact uh, married to the victim. Is that correct? Senator's correct. And so that's the distinction that we are here making today, potentially within Senate Bill 190? Yes, sir. And so that would be what is called the, the marital exception, so we would be removing that. The prosecuting attorney for Monongalia County, Gabrielle Musiola, testified before the committee. She said that the marital exemption is a barrier to prosecution in crimes involving a marriage. These cases are, are widely unreported, and I would say that this exemption creates just another hurdle for victims of sexual abuse and sexual assault to come forward and feel comfortable that West Virginia adequately protects them. Opponents of the bill voiced concerns about false reporting and he-said-she-said said arguments. Senator Patricia Rucker, a Republican from Jefferson County, spoke in opposition to the bill. I wish that I could feel confidence in the checks and balances and judicial system that we have, but the reality is that in this day and age, there are many, many cases where individuals who are angry with each other, um, disappointed by each other, fighting, and trying to take advantage of our system to try to hurt 
the other person because of whatever angry, whatever has occurred, and they're not always, they're not always truthful. Weld spoke in favor of the bill, citing his trust in the justice system's ability to try these crimes. But the decision before us right now is whether we want to signify to the married people around this state, man or woman, and to the rest of the nation for that matter, that it is a crime to sexually abuse your spouse. That is the question before us. Are we going to allow for spouses to be sexually abused in the state? Or are we going to put a stop to that and find that there is no difference whether or not you sexually abuse your spouse or whether you sexually abuse a stranger off the street? Senator Jay Taylor, a Republican from Taylor County, apologetically supported the bill. I'm sorry to, you know, I know some have encouraged me to vote against against this bill, but I just, I have to vote yes because I respect my wife and it just does not make sense to me that this is in our laws. And I understand that the argument about, well, it could get abused. Well, all of our laws get abused by so many different things. The bill passed by a roll call vote of 13 to 4 and was read on first reading on the Senate floor Friday. For the legislature today, I'm Emily Rice in Charleston. Our high school reporters were interested in interviewing some of the people behind the scenes that make the legislative session run. Amira Mustafa interviews Senate doorkeeper Jeff Branham. Hello, West Virginia. My name is Ben Velo. And I'm Amir Mustafa. Coming to you from the Capitol, we're going to do something different today. Today, we will be interviewing people on their jobs during the legislative cycle. Today, we are here to interview the head doorkeeper of the Senate. I'm Jeffrey Branham. B-R-A-N-H-A-M. Uh, -A -A I've been with the Senate for nine years. So what does an average day at the Capitol look like for you? For me, it's a lot of coordination of meetings and putting people in the right place at the right time. Mm -hmm. uh, protect the Senate chamber, uh, coordinate food deliveries, and just generally be a public relations person to anyone that's coming in and out of the Capitol building. And what's your favorite part of the day working here at the Capitol? I think the favorite part is the session itself. Uh, it's nice to see a lot of people come and visit the Capitol and see it firsthand, especially the ones who have never been here before, uh, and to learn and watch the uh, inner workings of you know, the political process as it takes place. Yeah, does it ever get old walking into here every day? I don't think so, no. Uh, I worked on some in, at the Capitol with some summer jobs growing up in high school and college. So it's kind of exciting for me to come back later in life and get to work at this special place. Yeah. And what are the most important qualifications that you believe are necessary to accomplish your job? I think just be a general people person yeah. and be, uh, like I said, we're, we're kind of all about PR. Uh, you just have to put yourself out there to help each individual person or group that comes here uh, in any way that they need help. All right. Well, thank you for speaking with me today. I greatly appreciate You're it. More than welcome. Enjoy it.
Thank you. Thank you to our guests for joining us. Join us next week where we'll be discussing bills regarding mental health. As always, I'm Amira Mustafa. And I'm Ben Velo. For the legislature today. Unfortunately, there was a problem with the audio recording of Ben Velo's interview with Donnie Lincolnhager, so we will not be able to bring you that part of the program. Our apologies to Mr. Lincolnhager and Mr. Velo. For our reporter roundtable this week, I joined our two primary legislative reporters, Randy Yowie and Brianna Heaney, to discuss some of the things we've been reporting on this week. All right, well, things are certainly picking up in the legislature this week. Got a lot to get through, so we're just going to jump right in. Randy, uh, we had an interesting development, something that we've heard about from the very beginning of the session this year, Social Security tax. Um, House Bill 4880, what does that do? Well, they've been trying to do this for three years now. Right now, a couple that makes $100,000 or less does not tax on their Social Security for their personal income tax. What this new bill would do was, would be phase out over three years all personal income taxes on Social Security, first the third, then two-thirds, and then I guess 2026 would be 100% gone. This would put, they say, $37 million uh, back into the economy. Right now, there are 40 states that don't tax their people's Social Security, and all of our surrounding states, we always hear about what's the contention with our surrounding states. Well, all our surrounding states have gone as well. So there's just 10 of us left, and uh, it seems to have good momentum. As a senior who collects Social Security, I mean, it would put three or four grand back in my pocket. My financial advisor says, put 10% of that aside. You know, uh, person, people with limited incomes that, that you know, have even less, it would do more uh, for the economy. AARP is all the way behind it. Yeah, and in a state with an aging population, this is going to be crucial for a lot of West Virginians. Uh, it heads now, if I'm not mistaken, to the Senate, which brings us to uh, Bree, some of the activity most recently in the Senate. I mean, we're talking about just minutes ago before um, we started recording, the Crown Act. Uh, people who have been following the legislature for several years have probably heard about this, but tell us a little bit about this bill. Yeah, so the Crown Act would um, make it to where uh, discriminating against someone's hairstyle would be prohibited in the states um, and would also then be legally kind of wound up in discriminating against someone's race. It's been, um, it's, it's been in the legislature for the last five years. It hasn't made it to the deadline. And then today it got hit with another hurdle that's going to possibly make it a little bit harder for it to make it to this year's deadline to get passed. Yeah, tell me a little bit more about, about that, because as I understand it, the bill for the first time ever made it to the Senate floor after Senate Judiciary on Thursday evening, and now it's back in a committee. Uh, what's going on there? Yeah, so in Senate Judiciary, there was um, witness testimony, there was emotional testimony, there was expert testimony on um, this bill, and um, a lot of the expert testimony said that this bill would not cost the states any money. However, when it hit the floor today, when it hit the Senate floor today, Senator Eric Tarr moved to have it go to the Finance Committee. Now, what that does is when a bill goes into committee, it kind of slows its momentum a bit, and it could even die in committee. Um, it had already gone through Judiciary Committee. It would have had to pass the Senate on three different days, read three different days, and then a vote. Go to the House, same thing, go to the governor's desk. Now it's in committee, so uh, we'll have to wait to see 
if and when it goes back onto the Senate floor. Senator Tarr, of course, is the chair of the Finance Committee in the Senate, and it's a little unclear at the moment. The bill was read, as uh, Bree said, on the Senate floor this morning, but uh, there's a deadline on Sunday. What's, what's that deadline, Bree? You talked to me about that deadline. Yeah, okay, fair enough. It is, uh, everything has to be out of committee, so it's a little unclear right now whether or not this bill being sent back out of committee, having been read, whether or not that's going to qualify it to move forward in these last two weeks. We're going to keep ping-ponging here back and forth, right back to the House. Randy, you've been following, as have I, this bill about arming teachers, House Bill 4299. Where's that at at the moment? Well, it, it has passed the House with... with debate that lasted a couple of hours. Now, Army teachers is maybe a bit of a misnomer because it's anybody that works at a school. It can be a, a staff member, it can be a principal, I think it'd be a custodian. And what it does is allow them to be concealed, have concealed carry. Uh, so that has to be hidden on their person. A couple of arguments were, what if they left it setting in the bathroom, a firearm? Or, well, you can't. Concealed carry means it must stay on your person at all times. Can't put it in your desk drawer. Can't do anything with it, but keep it on your person. And you can have a, a taser or a stun gun as well. These, these teachers then would become uh, SROs, uh, student that's POs, student protection officers, because schools already have student resource officers uh, that are usually supplied by the sheriff's department or the local police, but not every county has those. Some can't afford them. So the whole point being is that this teacher would have a chance to carry a firearm. I, one of the arguments we heard was if a shooter is coming in and your class is back here and you're between them, you might as well have something to protect yourself. Other people worry about having a gun right in there and the, uh, reverse procedures. But one amendment that went through that was a huge argument for was this is an opt-in. Any county school district can say, yes, we yes. want this program, or no, we're not going to use this program. But an amendment that passed said if a particular teacher takes the four-hour concealed carry course and the 24-hour training course, which just doesn't train you in, in, in holding a firearm, but also trains you in crisis intervention, mental health, so on and so forth. You take those 28 hours, then the school has to hire you as a student protection officer, even if the school didn't want to opt into the program. So that's where it stands now, and it's head over to the Senate. Yeah, very interesting, Bill. As you said, you know, we have to recognize the reality that we all live in, and especially schools, with the continued threat of school shootings. Um, be certainly interesting to see where that one goes. Uh, Bree, you had a, a bit of a technical bill on your plate this week with this oil and gas sunset clause. Obviously, this is an energy state. Uh, we tend to think about coal, but oil and gas has become more and more of the, the share of the pie recently. What's going on with this sunset clause? Yes, absolutely. And this is a very complicated bill and a very complicated topic. The original bill that this bill um, is removing the sunset clause for it was actually so complicated um, that it, it the tax formula that it created ended up um, in a, a, a total failure by the tax division that's causing counties and many individuals in the state hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars because it wrongly assessed some some values for the operators and especially for the landowners. Um, this bill got a lot of support from landowners and operators, but the controversy around this bill was that landowners wanted to um, 
landowners either wanted to amend the bill or to say, let's wait another year to remove the sunset to sit down and reevaluate things. Because a lot of those landowners expressed in public hearings and wrote letters to constituents that were read on the floor saying that they feel like this bill lacks a lot, um, that the, the way that it is now and has been since I believe 2020 is that it lacks a lot of um, transparency. So a lot of these landowners, they own the land that the gas operators mine off of and they get a royalty off of that amount. But they get that royalty not knowing what the operators actually sell the gas for. On the flip side, they're then taxed on a number based off of what the operators sell the gas for. And a lot of them are saying this year, they are barely going to make a profit, if even a profit at all, at, between what royalty they get and then what they're taxed, what they're taxed on. It's good to note, though. That well, there's another monkey wrench in there too, because the two years ago, exactly, the, the Supreme yes. Court. Sorry to interrupt, but the Supreme Court said we're not going to tax wells on mass for a company. Each well is its own individual asset. So that changes the whole structure too. And that also adds to the ex like to the complicated nature of the original bill that the sunset clauses um, might be removed. Well, actually, that it passed the House and the Senate, so it heads to the governor's desk. But that 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 bill would remove it from if the governor signs it into law. That is a lot of reasons why people say that it was so complicated. But it is also good to know, and this is what a lot of proponents of the bill say to opponents of the bill. Part of the reason why this year there is a lot of people are barely making it by between their royalties and the tax they owe is because if you'll remember two years ago, gas prices spiked following the Ukrainian-Russian um, conflict. So now they're, they're paying and, and they've since gone way down. So now they're paying the taxes on a very high asset while making a very lower amount, if that makes any sense. It, it's a two-year lag on that tax. I believe that it does, although obviously, um, you know, if these assessors are making these kinds of mistakes, there, there's obviously a lot of nuance here. So we'll see if the governor signs that one. Uh, we've only got about just over a minute left. Very, very quickly, um, both of you have been following a bill relating to the Legislative Auditor's Office. Who wants to very quickly tell us about that? Well, basically it puts now the power of audit auditing uh, all the state agencies, all the state agencies under the governor's auspices with the president of the Senate and the Speaker of the House. They sort of going to be running the show. Right. And on one side, if I understand correctly, there's an argument that um, this will allow them to wield this to, to you know, have more oversight and, and make sure that things are being done right. But what, what have you heard from opponents? Well, I've heard from opponents. One major issue that has been mostly resolved was public transparency. The Senate did amend the bill um, to where those, the original bill had where the um, findings would not be released publicly. They will be released publicly now. Well, folks, as you can tell from our conversation, there's a lot going on in the legislature. My colleagues will be right back here next week to talk to you about it. Thank you so much for joining me both. And um, yeah, final two weeks. We're all looking forward to the end. <laughs> we can't wait. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Thank you. I'm Chris Schultz. For everyone here at WVPB, thanks for joining us and have a great weekend. Support for the legislature today is provided by 
West Virginia University, offering education, health care, and the opportunity to achieve career success since 1867. Information at go.wvu.edu slash forward.